copy of God's Word, please go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, that's where I want to take you this morning, Matthew chapter 7, specifically verse 15. Uh, the title of today's message, if you want to find it or share it to somebody else, the title is going to be called uh, Werewolves or Werewolf. And you'll understand that here in just a second. But I want to talk to you about werewolves. Firstly, in folklore, a werewolf, occasionally wolf walker or lycanthropy, is a human with the ability to shapeshift into a wolf either purposefully or after being placed under a curse or affliction with the transformations occurring on the light of a full moon. Perhaps you know that. But what you may not understand is that Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, mentions what I am going to call a werewolf. And as you see from the kids' video, it seems like that is their goal, to steal, rob, kill sheep. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So unlike the story of the boy who cries wolf, Jesus is crying wolf, and he's doing so appropriately and for us to pay attention. Now, last week, what we talked about was all of chapter 7. Today, I wanted to come back and talk with you just about werewolves in the flock, what that looks like, how to recognize them, to equip you to be a good steward of sheep. Because all of us are sheep as well as sheep dogs. And we ought to have our eyes wide open so that we can know what we're looking for. So before we jump into Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son Christ. We thank you for his warning to us. We would pray that we would heed it. We would pray that your word would be what is heard today. And if there's any words of just this mere man, that they would quickly be forgotten so that we would correctly deposit your word into our hearts. We thank you and praise you for this day, the day that you have made. Might it be a blessing to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you look at the text there, I know you, hopefully you have it in your copy of God's Word, chapter 7, verse 15. He says there, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So before we get into the points that I want to talk about with you. I want to first kind of look at this text in the text itself. He says, beware, which is this word for being alert for, continuing to watch for, or to consider carefully. Now, in our American vernacular, when we use the term beware, it usually means this idea of being fearful of. That, I do not believe, is what Jesus is talking about here. Instead, what he says is, don't necessarily be scared of them, but instead, rather, understand what it is you're looking for. Be a good watchman, a good shepherd. Be on the lookout, always watching for and listening for these wolves. So be alert. And he says that these are false prophets. Now, this is a very old problem. And today, when we think of prophets, you probably think of like John the Baptist, right? The, the camel hair, the long hair, the unkeptness, eating um, locusts and honey and that kind of thing, or maybe uh, Ezekiel or Isaiah and then those kind of guys from back then. I want to look at this terminology, while that is a prophet in the fullest sense of the word, according to the Old Testament, and in Deuteronomy when they were talking about prophets, that is more along the lines of what they were talking about. Not that they had to look all like homelessy, 
but that when they were bringing the word of the Lord. So what we're talking about here and what Jesus is talking about here is when they're speaking on behalf of God. So in that sense, what I do is being a, being a prophet, loose sense, okay? Any pastor, preacher, teacher, book writer who is exposing the word of God is in this sense what we're talking about here. False prophets is a very, very old problem. It happened all the way back in Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, right? As soon as Moses brought Israel out of Egypt, he had to warn them against false prophets, people who would teach things contrary to God's word. And in fact, in the law, what it said is, when this is found out, you are to stone them. So it's not beware as in fear them, but rather be watchful, be vigilant, so that you know. And also then, Jesus explains to us that this is not only an Old Testament problem, it is a New Testament, it is a current problem in 2021, and it is unfortunately an inevitable problem. There will, there was false prophets in days of old, all the way through the church, there are false prophets today, and there will be into the future. Matthew 24, 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Mark 13, 22, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And that is why, and if you don't know what the elect means, it just means those who are belong to the church. So what Jesus is saying is even those who are already part of that church, who are sealed by Jesus' flock, if you're not being aware, even they could be led astray. Of course, Jesus says that's, that won't be the case because he'll keep you. But here's the deal. How do you know? How do you know if you're being led astray or not? That's what I want to talk to you about today. And lastly, before we get into the points that I have, as we look at this text, he says, they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In your mind, hopefully you already have this differentiation, but think of it back in the time that Jesus preached this. Most of you, I think I know what most of you do for a living. We've had enough conversations. If you're watching this and I don't know you, then I don't know what you do for a living, but I'm going to guess, I know for in this room, there's, there's nobody in here who is a shepherd for a living. You may have a hobby farm, farm or you may have farmed in the past, or you currently are a farmer but you're not a shepherd, not in this sense of the word. We think of people like King David, who is a shepherd, and we think of the first century. When you think of a shepherd and who monitor their sheep, I hope your mind goes to the cartoons like mine does too. And so you have this one who is to be the watchman, and then unfortunately not just one wolf, but usually many. And I was trying to find the Looney Tune. I know that they're out there. If you, if you have watched cartoons for any length of time, you've seen the ones where, and by the way, like, that's not Wiley Coyote, by the way, just so we're aware. Like, that is a different, I think that's Sam the Wolf. You can recognize him by his one fang, right? Like, that's the deal. But here's, here's the thing. If you've watched Looney Tunes for any length of time, or cartoons for that matter, you're familiar with the zip scene. What I mean by the zip scene is that he will come in the form of a sheep out there into the flock, and then the sheepdog will grab one of the sheep by the neck. And you're like, hey, what are you doing, sheepdog? And then he'll unzip him, and it's wolf, right? And then usually how the gag goes is, is then the sheepdog unzips, and it's, 
it's the wolf, and then he unzips again, and it's a sheep, and back and forth until you finally figure out who they are at the end. And then, of course, it ends with the punch and the black guy and the giant thing with the Tweety Birds and, and all of the things that you expect from a good cartoon sequence, right? But the fact is, is that they come in in sheep's clothing. They cloak themselves with doctrine, with Christianese, which, by the way, is a thing. And so long-time Christians, watch how you talk with other people. People who don't know Christ don't understand your crazy language. Sanctification, atonement, restoration. Like, they don't... Restoration is what you do to an old car, right? And so they come in with the right words. They come in with the right look. But he says here, inwardly, they are werewolves. Inwardly, either by their own choice or by a curse, they will turn in a moment and they will bite they will devour, they will rip, they will tear, they will kill. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and those who work for him are no different. In 1 Timothy 4, 1, he warns about in the last days, people will turn away from sound teaching to follow doctrines of even demons. That's how strong he puts this kind of thing. So as we look at Matthew seven fifteen. I want to talk to you about false prophets, false preachers and teachers of the word who are coming to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly desire your destruction. So the first thing that I want to talk about with you as we look at that is simply to do this. Let's define doctrine and how we test doctrine. So I hope that if you've been here for 20 years or if you've been here for three months, I hope that as I preach and teach from the pulpit, that you are listening and watching and weighing the things that I'm saying based on these things. And if you're not, these are some categories that you can use. Okay? So this is a three-step test. The first is origin. As we define doctrine, doctrine just simply means a teaching, a learning, or instruction. And there's really two categories. There's either true doctrine or false doctrine. The way you can find out what that is is firstly asking the origin. What I mean by that is sound doctrine, real biblical teaching, good, solid, foundational, godly teaching originates with God. False doctrine originates with someone or something created by God. So firstly, when you hear things preached, when you watch YouTube, when you read books, you have to ask the question, where is this coming from? Is it coming from God? Galatians 1, 6 through 12, which is a a large section. If if you're a note taker this morning, uh, we've got a lot to get through in a short amount of time. So I'll I'll put these up here. I will not have all the verses through, and I'm not going to read all the verses that are on my notes, but I'll gladly give you a copy at the end. If you'd like that, just send me an email or a text to let me know. Galatians 1, 6-12, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The Galatians were deceived. The Galatians, over time, have let these sheeps in that are really wolves, and they've since now unzipped and are now preaching this false gospel, and Paul is astonished. He says, why have you so quickly turned aside? He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
He goes on, and that's 9 and 10. He says, for, I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? For if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He goes on in 12, if we skip forward. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So first question we have to ask about sound doctrine is, where does it originate from? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from God as the origin, or is it coming from someone or something else? 1 Timothy 4.1, John 7.16, Colossians 2.20-23, all are talking about sound doctrine and where it comes from. Even Jesus, 7, uh, John 7.16, so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Even Christ, at his teaching, recognized the origin of his message had to be from the Father. So how can we know the origin of doctrine? Sometimes it's going to be obvious. But more often than not, we might be uncertain. And that's why there's a second part to this three-part test. But before we get to that, I want to ask you, as right before we move on, I want to ask you, where are you receiving your primary teaching from? Because even if it's from this pulpit, use this tool. If it's from anywhere else, use this tool. Second one, then, is authority. If the first one is origin, it should follow that the next one is authority. Because if it comes from God, then it, therefore, by definition, has Authority, right, yes, thank you. Some of you guys are more awake than others. Sound doctrine grounds its authority with the Bible. False doctrine grounds its authority outside of the Bible. In Acts 17.11, it talks about a group of people. This is the Christianese thing, so I want to give it a little context for you if you don't know it. They're called Bereans. If you're unfamiliar with the Berean people, they are heralded as good scholars of the word because of how they treated Paul. Now we, knowing what we know and having the documents and the scriptures that we have, we would trust Paul wholeheartedly. If, if we could somehow get a time machine and have Paul come and preach, I guarantee you, number one, it would be standing room only, Right? And number two, you would take what he says, face value, probably unquestioningly, and that is where you and me would be unwise. Paul himself, as we talk about this in Acts 17, these Bereans, he congratulates them because they don't do that. This is what it says in in Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And if we're honest, those in Allegan Bible Church, myself included, right? Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness, however, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. So every morning, Paul would show up. He would deliver a discourse on God's word, expositing the Old Testament, showing Christ in the Old Testament, preaching salvation through Christ. And every night, these Bereans would go home. They would pull out their scrolls or their tablets, right? And they would, they would read over what they know, and they would study it, and they would see if what Paul is saying is true. Do you do the same? 
Or do you just show up to church, hope that you get a good message, you go home, and then forget 80% of it if you're anything like most Americans and what statistics say? I should make 80% less, and then maybe you'd get, no, I don't know. Or Thessalonians, so he's talking about the, those in Thessalonica are the Thessalonians, right? And we also thank God continuously for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really was, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So the first one is origin, the second is authority, right? If it originates from the Bible, then you can assume it's authority, but does it originate from the Bible, and where is it claiming its authority from? Is it claiming its authority from the Bible, or is its authority coming from a vision, a dream, or some other writings, or even an angel? Because two teachers may both claim the authority of the Bible. So now, is it originating from the Bible and where it's authority? Because there might be two teachers that are claiming authority of the Bible, while their teachings are very different things, how can we know that the interpretation is correct? So the origin, is it coming from the Bible? Where is its authority? And then lastly, for the third test is this, is it consistent? What's its consistency? Now in seminary or in preaching in the past, you may have heard this. Let's see if you can finish this phrase. Context is king. All right, good, good job. Context is king. The fact of the matter is what we're talking about here is sound doctrine is consistent with the whole of Scripture and false doctrine is inconsistent with some parts of Scripture. So as you read through from Genesis through Revelation, yes, I know there's Old Testament, there's New Testament. Yes, I know there's in the Testament, there's Old Covenant, New Covenant. I understand that there's different kinds of genres of literature, right? There's history as well as poetry. But if you do your hermeneutical and Bible research, and I fully expect that a lot of you guys feel like you can't, but I'm here to tell you, you don't need a seminary degree to preach, and you don't need a seminary degree to do some digging on your own. Praise God that we live in a time where we have not only Google, not that you should just blanketly trust Google, but you have that. You also have so many other commentaries and helps at your fingertips that you can even rent at some libraries. So consistency. Hebrews 13.9 Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. 1 Timothy 1.3 As I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So consistency matters. The Bible is the Bible. God does not change. If God is infallible and unchangeable and authoritative, when doctrines are preached in books, on the radio, from the pulpit, in a live stream, they should be consistent. They should originate from the text. They should claim their authority on God's authority, on the authority of the text, and they should be consistent with the text. This is why we have sayings from people like Luther and Calvin or other people back then who used Latin, sola scriptura, means scripture alone, right? There's the five. You can look those up if you want to. That's not today's sermon. 
So once you have tested doctrine and found it to be true, according to these three criteria, then we can also see its soundness by its effects on those around us as well as ourselves. So I want to ask this question before we move on to these last two things, which are kind of subpoints, and these are the application of, these, of, these, of this test, okay? But the question I want to have for you, are you a student of Scripture? Do you know your Bible well? Because the fact of the matter is, for you to perform these tests, you have to be a student of Scripture. And to be, to be able to perform these tests well takes time and effort. So this is the outcome of this. You need to then, because of these things, evaluate and then act. So because of time, we're going to skip to both of those so you can just see them on there if you're a note taker. Evaluate these things and then act upon it. What do I mean by that? Well, it's very clear that sound doctrines, what we've talked about so far, is recorded in the Word of God, is consistent with the whole revelation of God, and leads us both to spiritual health and godly living. And he says that in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God, he's just using that term there, but for the people of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so as we do these things, you have to evaluate it. Which means, by the way, I expect and I hope, and it is my prayer, that you would then, because you've heard this today from me, judge this sermon based on these standards. And you would evaluate it. And as you evaluate it, then you would act on it. And every time I preach, that in some degree, not that you would be a, a critical of my preaching necessarily, but that you would, over time, be viewing the messages from this pulpit, from any other place that you're receiving messages, through this screen, if they're passing mustard, origin, authority, consistency, that you would evaluate each one, and then that there would be an action upon it. Because here's the fact of the matter. Either you apply it to your life for growth and godliness, or you reject it, and if it's necessary, remove the person from the pulpit or from the ministry and call them out on what they're doing, because then they are a wolf in sheep's clothing. They are a werewolf. Which means, it is my hope, it is my prayer that I never fall into this category, this next thing that we're going to move to. But if I do, kick me out. And do not apologize for it. Because that is your job. So I want to close this section by saying, do you know false doctrine when you hear it or when you read it, when you see it? Do you know it? What do you need? If the, if the answer is maybe, or I don't know, or it depends, fine. I think that's probably most of us, right? So then I want to say, what do you need to do to become better at determining sound doctrine? What books do you need to read? Yes, the Bible. Are there any other books? Might your pastor have a list he could recommend to you? If you trust him, Okay. And if or when you hear false doctrine, are you willing to act? Because there are so many churches that split, so many denominations that pop up, so many things that happen in so many churches all across America that are even happening right now because people are unwilling to act. They're unwilling to do the research, and when it happens, it's easier for them to just leave 
than to actually try to fix that. And then I would ask you, do you care about the rest of the people then? Do you care about the rest of the sheep? Or do you just let the wolf ravage your flock? So you've heard of, gosh, we only have five minutes left. Should I sausage it? Should we just cut it off here and come back next week? I could probably do it in five minutes. Let's do it. You comfortable? Did it seem like we've already been here for 25 minutes? All right, that's fine. I don't. We don't have anything in the oven, right? So you've heard of the taxonomic, whatever, I just looked this up. You probably haven't heard of it. Uh, here's some Latin for you. My wife made me look this up so I could pronounce it right because she loves you. So this is how you pronounce this. Lupos and vestimentis ovim. What this means is a wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't know why I did it in Latin. I, just whatever, okay? The time threw me off. Here's what I want to say to you. What we're going to talk about now is the scientific kind of kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. What I want to talk to you about seven species of wolves, okay? I suppose I could name names. I don't think that's my role to do that, so I'm not going to do that. So if you were looking forward to me naming a bunch of false teachers... I don't want to do that. Um, I'm going to let you judge that because it's my, it's my hope that you would actually apply what I'm talking about today. Okay? Go figure, right? So these are seven types of false teachers that we might have today. All right? We're going to take them one by one. We'll move through it pretty rapidly. But these are the seven, uh, and these are how I think you can, you can know them. The first and the foremost is just simply the heretic. This is somebody who is probably one of the most prominent and I would say maybe the most dangerous wolves that we're going to face as they come into the flock. Second Peter 2.1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. You will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Heretics are people who blatantly contradict essential doctrines by either taking from it or adding to it. Some key doctrines that we're talking about that, that heretics either deny or add to or, or whatever are things like the Trinity, things like the virgin birth, things like Jesus himself, is he fully God or fully man, or is there like multiple kind of things, and there's all kinds of 50 cent, you know, theological words or whatever, like docetism and like whatever, but like, the fact of the matter is, these are the doctrines that we're talking about, right? What about hell, or works, or universal salvation, etc.? These are the kinds of key doctrines that heretics will come in and they'll say things like, hey, there is no hell, or everybody is actually saved. Look at John 3.16, right? For the whole world, which means everybody, right? And so these are the blatant contradictions that heretics will have as they come in. And yet somehow, some churches, either by church planting this thing or an offshoot, somehow, as Scripture says, they will come in and deceive even the elect if that were possible. So be on the look for this species of wolf, the heretic. They would say that the Bible's 
word is not as important as our own interpretation of it. And so therefore they would change it. Next one is going to be the charlatan. The charlatan wolf is one that is a user of Christianity for a means of personal gain. This might be under the category of prosperity gospel type preachers. Unfortunately, there's a lot of these that are on TV. They say things like, just sow this seed of faith. Oftentimes, things that they'll use is fancy things like, I'm just going to make this up. I don't even know what this is, okay? So just don't look it up in your Bible later and be like, that didn't make any sense. It's not supposed to, okay? So like they'll say things like, Isaiah 52, 7, or 17, says this promise. So I want you to, to sow a seed of an Isaiah 52, 17 seed. So mail in $52.17, because that's how God's going to know that you are seeking to fulfill this Isaiah 52, 17 promise, and that's going to be your seed, right? And if you're laughing at this, then you don't watch enough televangelists, I guess, because it's legit. Like, I'm not making this up. That is how, so charlatans are anyone who would use Christianity and the pulpit as a means of personal gain. Whether the personal gain is for politics or uh, status, or wealth, any of those things, if it's for personal gain, then that is a wolf. The Bible, they see the Bible is a mask to hide their own agenda. Religion is the boat from which they sail into the lives of other people, whatever it is that they are trying to sell, if that makes sense. There is a famous section of that, if you want to write this down, if you're a note taker, Acts 8, 9-24, is this magician who asks to buy the blessing of the Holy Spirit so that he can then perform the works that the apostles are doing. Same kind of idea. That's a charlatan. Unfortunately, you see this a lot with things like healings. I believe you... Listen, I'm not a cessationist necessarily, but I'm a skeptic. I'm a high skeptic. But I can tell you this for sure. If God ever gives me the gift of laying on hands and healing people, I quit. I quit. I'm sorry. I love you guys, but I quit, and I'm going to St. Jude Children's Hospital. Sorry. I love you guys, but higher calling at that point, okay? All those kids are going home, you know? Like, so, but but that's, this is the deal, right? So personal gain. Um, next one, the prophet. I know we kind of already touched on this a little bit, but, but now I'm going back to the original sense of this. Claims the gift of speaking new revelation outside Scripture. So they are, this is new, new word from God. They are adding to Scripture. We see this in things like cults, which generally have less following, but still have followers. We see this in people giving visions or exposing new age or Actually, which, by the way, new age is just old stuff repackaged, if that makes sense. New age is just often like Middle Eastern mysticism that y'all haven't heard of before. So now it's new age, but it's, it's not. It's pagan witchcraft that's repackaged, okay? Um, hallucinations, uh, paganism, and then this nearest Near Eastern mysticism. 
where there's an extra word from the Lord. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Revelation 22, 18 through 19. Now I know the theological argument. If you are a scholar in the word that you're going to give to me and say, well, this only applies to Revelation, which I'm not necessarily going to argue to you, but I'm also going to say, if it's true for Revelation, and if it was true in Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy says, don't say that the Lord has said, and then he hasn't said, stone that person. Again, right? Consistent. So if it was true for Deuteronomy, and if it's true for Revelation, I'm just going to make the argument that it's, it's probably true for any other book of the Bible, where it says here, uh, and if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city. So basically, Revelation, don't add or subtract from this book. Okay? Next, species. The abuser. Um, I think these people are going to have a special place, not that the rest of them don't, but the abuser is someone who uses his position to take advantage of others. Now, to some degree, that's everyone that we've just talked about, but this one often comes specifically with sexuality. 2 Peter 2.2 says, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Or Jude 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we see this every six months, it seems like. That, or, or, and, and here's the thing. You can hide it for only so long, right? It's usually right after these guys die, six months after they die, all this stuff comes out of all this other abuse that's taken place behind the scenes. Or just in, this is the only one that I'll name only because it's not one person. Or like in general, like the Catholic Church, the things that they've been dealing with for years now with the abuse that's taken part behind closed doors that I do believe some of them are actually trying to deal with, so let's give them some benefit of the doubt. But this is anyone who would use their position to abuse and take advantage of others. Largely, unfortunately, leads itself to sexual perversions. Next one is going to be the divider. This is uh, someone who uses false teachings to destroy the church through division. So it can happen a couple of different ways. Either it can be hyper-holiness, if you think about it this way, right? So like enforcing or being uh, participatory in specific standards of holiness, that you have to do these, you have to check these boxes to, to be really saved, right? And or they seek to negate things in order to make unbiblical doctrine. I think this happens, uh, it's talked about in Jude 18 through 21, and, they, and in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. They see the Bible as a stick either to beat people with or a nail to drive a point home. They do not want unity and fellowship. What they want is division. 
Ephesians 4.3 tells us that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. Galatians 5.22 says one of the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Sometimes they do this by gossip. Sometimes they do this by undermining other leadership. But what it boils down to is they use Scripture as a wedge to drive things apart. And that's the danger with this because in some degree the gospel is offensive. To some degree the Bible is divisive, right? The wheat and the chaff, right? To some degree the Bible does divide people and families even. But that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, I don't even have to name people for this one. I'm sure a name comes to your mind right away, the tickler. This is, this is somebody who's seeking to please man rather than God, wants the honor of men rather than God. They wouldn't, of course, say that. This is a desire to have praise from the world. Everything is happy. Everything is good. You're okay. I'm okay. Everyone's going to go to heaven, and we're all going to get a, a, a house and a car on the way there, Right? Um, everything's good. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and, 5, uh, 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. There's even someone right now who has a little box that you can put on your nightstand, and if you need a word of encouragement, you just hit that box, and he will give you the good news of inclusion into the kingdom. Bar none. No need for change. No need for repentance. There is no hell. Jesus is your, your buddy. He's here for you. I almost, yeah, I almost said that. Really what they see is the Bible is not the word of God. Really what it is, it's a self-help book. And then lastly, the speculator. They're obsessed with novelty and originality. They love to have future predictions and usually are obsessed over the things of the end times and very often are dealing with things like hidden codes and projecting dates and making kind of assumptions and things like that. Hebrews 13, 9 again says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. 1 Timothy 1.3, as, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines. So might there be hidden codes in Scripture? Yeah, I guess maybe. Right? I mean, I don't know. And I'm a little biased because I'm not going to spend my time looking for them because what I need to do is spend my time praying over what I do understand the Bible says, because like Paul, I say this wretched man that I am, the things that I want to do, I don't do, the things I do want to do, those things I don't do, who's going to set me free from this body of death? And so instead of worrying about what numbers are in the Bible that say different things, what I'd really rather do is spend my time begging the Holy Spirit to change my heart and to apply the things that I already know. So I'm not saying that anyone who does this is always a false teacher. What I'm saying is, this is a camp of them. But I can tell you this for sure, hands down. Anyone 
anyone at any time who ever says, this is the day of Jesus' return, write them off. Done. Never listen to them again. Move on with your life. False teacher. They're a speculator. If Jesus didn't know, then what's-his-face doesn't either, okay? I don't care who he is. What they are saying, basically, is the Bible is mysterious and can only be understood through expertise and secret understanding. This is the Gnosticism that crept into the church at the very first time right after Jesus left, that there's some secret hidden knowledge. It's not so. Except for what Jesus had said, or what the apostles had said, that the, that the gospel is hidden to those whose eyes are blind to life, and that it is a fragrance of death to those who are dying, but a fragrance of life to those who are called to, to life, then yeah, I guess it's a secret knowledge to them, knowledge of salvation in Christ. So I want to ask you, with all of these things, we've covered seven of these, they're up on the screen, who are you currently listening to that might fit these categories? And who are you currently listening to who, who do fit these categories that you need to stop listening to? And if I'm in one of these categories, then tell your elders to kick me out. Tim Challies has wrote articles on these kind of things. So I'm going to paraphrase what he says here. He says, Satan's greatest ambassadors are not pimps, politicians, or power brokers but pastors, and I'm going to change that to preachers. I know what he's trying to do with the alliteration of the P's. That's powerful. (laughs) But Satan's greatest ambassadors are not these people of the world, pimps, politicians, power brokers, but they're preachers. His priests do not peddle a different religion, but a deadly perversion of the true one. His troops do not make full out of frontal assaults, but work as agents sneaking into the opposing army. Satan's tactics are studied, clever, predictable, and effective. Therefore, we must always remain vigilant. Which leads me to the text for today. Beware. Don't be scared of, but be aware of. Be watchful for, be always listening for, be guiding and guarding against. Use that framework to gauge their teaching. Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, because ravenous wolves left to a sheepfold have only one desire and only one outcome. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us this word and for giving us discernment by your Holy Spirit. We pray that we would be a people who would be discerning. God, for each of us individually, we pray that you would help sharpen our hearts and our minds, that you would make us students of your word, that you would help us to every day be growing in the study and application of it, and that by your grace we might find ourselves in that elect who might be saved from these doctrines of demons. For we know that you are good and worthy of praise, and we want to serve you and know you and love you to our fullest degree. So protect Elegant Bible Church and protect everyone who is hearing this message from these false prophets. We ask this because we know that you care for your people, so it's in your name as the great shepherd that we pray. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise.